Hey, happy Easter to everyone. Certainly if you're here in the center with us, if you're online in the chapel, if you're up in the loft, we're so glad that you're here today. I am doing a happy Easter dance today, aren't you? I am also doing a happy, I got a tax refund dance this week. You know that April 15th was just this past Monday, right? And our family, we got a refund. And it's like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Exciting stuff. And some of you are like, I ain't doing a happy dance because I didn't. So tax day comes, right? And it's like, you either are really happy about tax day or you hate tax day. If you get a refund, you're like, whoo. If you don't get a refund, you are not enjoying life right now. So this year, I'm doing a happy dance. But a couple years ago, no happy dance. A couple years ago, I was filing my taxes, doing the TurboTax thing, and putting in all my stuff, and add it all in, and upload it, and I hit that button that says, like, I don't know, send or final, and I'm waiting, and I get so excited that I'm going to get a big refund, and bam, you owe $40,000. I'm like, what? Like some astronomical number that I'm like, what? I, and I just start sweating. Like, I just start sweating because Uncle Sam's going to come after me, right? And I'm going to go to prison and my kids are going to be homeless. My life is going to be over, right? That's what it feels like in that moment. Some astronomical number that I'm looking at and going, I, I, I can't pay this. What am I going to do? And I mentioned something to a friend and I tell him about this and he's like, dude, you got to call an accountant. Like, Joe, you're a landscaper and a preacher. You don't know nothing about taxes. Call an accountant. So I call an accountant and I tell him my saga. I'm like, Dude, you don't get it, accountant. Like, I'm, I'm going to prison. My kids are going to be homeless. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And he's like, wait, just give it to me. Uh, let me take it. I'll, I'll handle this. I'm an accountant. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. Like, he's like, no, just trust me. I mean, have you been there before? Maybe, maybe not with taxes, but with some situation in your life where you're just like, I'm so out of control. I'm so above what I can handle. I'm out of my abilities. I can't fix this. I can't change this. I can't do anything. And, and someone references you to, a, to an expert, someone who's qualified and capable and someone who can help, and you kind of hand it off to them, and they're like, oh, this is no problem. I got this. Because they're qualified, they have the ability, they have the strength to handle what you give them, and they look at it and go, I got this. Have you been there? So as a church, we're working chapter by chapter through the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, and, and we're looking, starting last week, at John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, turn them on to John chapter 11. You can open them up and follow along with me. If you don't have one, no problem, but just encourage you to follow along and read your Bible. It helps us. And so in John chapter 11, there's a family that has this incredibly difficult situation on their hands. Someone in their family is terminally ill, they're sick, and they're dying and going sinking fast. And a family member sends word to Jesus and says, Lord, the one you love is sick. A family member, two sisters, send word to Jesus and say, the one you love, Jesus, is sick, and, and you say you have power, you say you care, you say you're God, you got to do something, Jesus, you got to fix this, Jesus, and Jesus does love this family, but he does something interesting. He doesn't immediately go up and help, and in Jesus' delay to help this guy named Lazarus, Lazarus dies, and the family is just crushed. 
They're like, Jesus, you wait, you say you love people, you say you're strong and powerful, but you don't help, you don't fix. And we learned last week when we're looking at this scripture reference that Jesus' delay is not Jesus' disinterest in people. He cares greatly about people. And sometimes we can't see and understand what he's doing, sometimes, all the time. He's always doing something more than what we can envision and imagine. So for us as humans, we have two sides of us, probably the simplest way of putting it. We have a physical side and we have a spiritual side. A physical side, a body that's going to die, and a spiritual side, a soul. Jesus is most interested in our spiritual soul because he knows that our soul will never die, that our soul is going to live forever either with God or apart from God. So it's not that he doesn't care about our bodies in our immediate circumstances, but his bigger picture, longer range planning is for spiritual things. And so when he doesn't run up to help this guy Lazarus, it isn't that he doesn't care. He wants to grow and bring about health in this guy's spiritual life and in his family. And so when Jesus finally does go up to visit the family after their loved one dies, one of his sisters, Lazarus' sister, named Martha, in verse 21, she says this to Jesus. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha's like, my brother's dead. You could have done something, Jesus. Like, why didn't you fix it? And Jesus is just like, relax, girl. I got this. And Martha in verse 24 answers and says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's kind of saying to him, Jesus, I know you have some big picture thing in mind, but what about me in the here and now? What about our family? What about the mourning and the pain and the difficulty we're going through right here, right now? Jesus, why didn't you help? And he says something in verse 25, profound. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He makes this statement about himself. It's kind of interesting to me because it's almost like me going to my accountant. I feel completely overwhelmed. I think I'm going to die. And I say to my accountant, help. And he's like, relax, Joe, I got this. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm going to jail and my kids are gonna be homeless. And he's like, Joe, I am the accountant and the life. The one who believes in me, the one who believes in me and listens to me won't owe one more dime of taxes than what they're expected to pay. Do you believe this? And in that moment when I'm with an expert, I have a choice to take them at their word to believe what they say, that they're going to rescue me, my accountant, from my tax crisis, or I have the choice to say, no, you're a fraud. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's saying, I'm God. He's saying, I'm the eternal Son of God who created the world, who existed before all time, who spoke and brought things into being. He's saying to them, I am the one who holds the keys of life and death. I am the only one qualified to help you 
When he says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. He understands that all of us are alive physically, but we're dead spiritually, every single one of us. But if the, you believe and trust in Jesus, you come alive physically. He says in verse 26, whoever lives by believing me will never die. So we can be physically alive, and when we put our trust in Jesus, that he really came to save us, we're physically alive and spiritually dead before Jesus, but when we put our trust in Jesus, he makes us spiritually alive so that when we do take our last breath, we're immediately in the presence of God. And Jesus doesn't do a sales pitch. He just says at the end, do you believe this? He doesn't try to convince. He doesn't try to sell. He just says, here's my credentials. Here's who I am. I am life. And if you believe in me, you can have life. Martha says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. She's saying, Jesus, I get you're the only one qualified. Your resume is incredible. I believe you're the only one who can give both physical life and spiritual life. And so, for Martha, she believes in Jesus, but she's still got this incredible problem that Lazarus, her brother, is dead, and Jesus said, he will rise again. So let's fast forward to the cemetery, verse 38. They're at the cemetery now, and it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb of Lazarus. And we read in verse 35 that Jesus, when he came to the tomb, he wept. It broke his heart that people were dying and grieving. It says he was deeply moved. Why was he deeply moved? Because he sees people in pain. He sees people mourning. He sees the struggle of humanity, and it breaks his heart. But it's something so much bigger than this immediate scene for this one family. Jesus kind of scans back across all humanity and sees us as a human race. He sees our sin and our suffering. He sees anxiety and fear. He sees depression and suicide. He sees abuse and injustice. He sees it all, and this deeply troubles him across the entire human race. He sees how those he created, you and me, ignore him. We doubt him. We think he doesn't care. And that deeply troubles Jesus. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb of Lazarus. It was a cave where they put him with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. I mean, are you catching this? Jesus shows up at the cemetery. Lazarus has been dead. Jesus delayed. Now he comes, and he's like, hey, let's take a look, open casket. Like, no. He, he's been dead for four days. And science tells us that as soon as the body dies, it starts to decompose. And where there's decomposing body, there's terrible stink. And this is in the Middle East, where it's really hot. So it's warm, dead stink. And Jesus is like, hey, let's go see what's going on here. Move the gravestone. And everyone's like, no, bro, don't do that. What are you doing? Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. 
Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you've always heard me, but I have said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Dead Lazarus is now alive. And this account, in many ways, is a snapshot of my life, and it's a snapshot of your life, whether you realize it or not. You see, because every single one of us, all humans, stink. We stink of sin. We smell. Because we're physically alive, but we're spiritually dead, every single one. You know, like a little B.O. once in a while, that's not so bad, a little deodorant, shh, you know, spray some stuff around, make your smell smell better. A little halitosis that never hurt anybody, right? Stink, I mean, this kind of stink that Jesus is talking about, the Bible tells us about humans, is that we're so sinful that this stink rises to high heaven. And you might say, no, I'm not. I, I don't stink. I'm not sinful. Imagine if I dropped a GoPro in your brain for a week that could record your thoughts, your motives, your actions. And we're like, hey, everybody, happy Easter. We're going to show Melissa's movie for the week up on these screens and show everybody what Melissa was thinking and feeling all week. Do you think it would smell good? (laughs) Oh, it smells like roses. She's got such a perfect life. No. It's going to stink like death. Why is it that we try to hide our addictions? We don't want people to see what really goes on behind closed doors. Why is it, why is it that we have to control every situation and every purpose, every person around us? Why do we always have to chase the latest and greatest? Why is it that we're relentlessly seeking the approval of others. There's something wrong. There's something missing. And what the Bible says is that we are physically alive, but we are spiritually dead. And that is our stink. And we try to cover it up. We try to mask it. We try to make it go away. But it's not possible. It's like me trying to solve my tax problem without outside help. I just make it worse. We all stink. But what Jesus shows me in this story is that the stink doesn't bother him. I mean, Jesus wasn't bothered by Lazarus' dead stink, which means he's not bothered by your stink either. In fact, why he came to planet Earth is because the stench of humanity rose up into his holy throne room, and he looked at the condition of the entire human race, and it deeply troubled Jesus so much so that he came and lived among us. He walked among us in the stink, though he was perfect and never sinned. He came and lived among us in the midst of our sin and stink, and he innocently goes to a cross. And when they nail him to a cross, oh, he dies. They killed him physically, but they cannot kill him spiritually. And so he goes into that grave, and he bursts out three days later, proving he is life and life eternal, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. It doesn't faze him at all, because the stink of death cannot overpower the life of Christ. It cannot. 
for any of us, the only thing that will cover this stench is Jesus himself. He comes and he's patient among us. He loves us. He wants to help us. And people killed him, but he rose again. Death couldn't keep the life of Christ from resurrecting Lazarus. And death can't keep Jesus from bringing you to life again either. So when I handed over my tax mess to the accountant that year, I thought it was all over, right? I thought it was over. I thought I was going to prison. The accountant calls me two days later and goes, okay, Joe, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The bad news is you owe taxes. True story. The good news is it's only 300 bucks. I'm like, dude, you don't get, like, seriously? I'm going to prison. Are you sure? He's like, I am an expert. This is what I do. Mail in a check for 300 bucks and you'll be good. And guess what I did? I had a choice to believe him. Or to say, no, you're a fraud. I had a choice to believe him. I wrote the check. And guess what? I'm here. I didn't go to prison. And my kids, they have a house, uh, you know, a roof over their heads. It's incredible. And so since that moment, seriously, I have realized I need a relationship with an accountant. Because I, I can't do this. I'll botch it up again and again and again and again. I need a relationship with an accountant, an expert who can help me and keep me out of jail. And I love this guy so much. I love him so much, I dress like him today. <laughs> Seriously, this dude, right? You know, it's the same thing spiritually. I have made a hell of a mess of my life. And I've tried to fix it myself. I've tried to make things better. I've done catechism and baptism and religion and done all kinds of things to make myself better, but trying to make myself better doesn't work. When you believe in Jesus, that's when you see life. That's when you begin to experience hope. That's when you begin to realize you're loved and he can change you and restore you from the inside out. When you take him at his word and follow his lead, that's when he will resurrect you. That's when he will give you life and hope. I know that many people in this place today have said, I believe in Jesus. If Jesus, question. If Jesus is your resurrection and your life, do you have a continued relationship with him or do you just use him at tax time? Do you just, just go run into Jesus when you need something? Or do you have a relationship with him where you live in connection with him throughout the year, throughout the week, throughout your day? Because that's what's gonna keep you out of the mess. Not just run into him when you need something. Help me, I'm dying, I'm gonna to go to jail, my kids are gonna have problems. No, he wants to walk with you. He's alive and he brought you to life spiritually and now he wants to walk with you through whatever mess and he's the source of life and resurrection and power. But when you wander away from him, if Jesus is your resurrection and your life today, do you dress like him? Do you clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience? Do you forgive as the Lord forgave you? 
Do you clothe yourself with love as the Lord has so loved you? You so love other people? I'm amazed at how many people say, I believe Jesus is my resurrection and my life, but they don't clothe themselves with Jesus. And then they wonder why the world laughs at the resurrection and the life. Because they look at the fraud of you and me and say, if that's resurrection and life, that stinks more like death than life. Do you clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and justice and peace and gentleness and forgiveness and love? This resurrected king wants to empower you to wear that around the Lehigh Valley. And then they will see that Jesus is alive in you. So many of us today, though, we know we're in a mess. We feel overwhelmed. We feel lost. We don't know where to do, turn, but Jesus is the only one who's qualified to fix our mess. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He wants to know, do you believe? And you might think, well, why should I trust him? How should I believe? Here's the deal. On a historic day 2,000 years ago, Jesus was publicly executed. On a historic day, three days later, hundreds of people saw him walk out of a grave alive. And the hundreds of people that were front row seats to this incredible power saw it and it changed their life. And they began to tell other people who told other people who told other people who told other people who told me. And Jesus has changed my life. That's why I know he rose again from the dead. And if your life is a train wreck right now, if you came to me with a tax problem and said, Joe, my, I'm going to jail. My kids are going to be homeless. Do you have a guy? I would say, I've got a guy. And you would say, I'll go see your guy. You wouldn't ask for his resume. You'd say, he changed your life, your tax situation, then he can change mine too. And you'd go, and you'd believe, and you'd write your check too, and it would change you forever. Can I commend to you Jesus Christ, the one who's strong enough to come out of a grave alive, that he wants to resurrect every part of you. And don't believe this lie, that you stink too bad that your life is too worthless, that you've done too many shameless things, there are too many ways you've been abused or mistreated, and that in some way you've got to come and clean your own act up first before you come to Jesus. No way. This resurrected life doesn't care how bad you stink. He loves you, and he wants you to come to him, and he will clean you up. He will forgive you and help you and restore you and give you peace, perfect peace, now and forevermore. Do you believe? Let's pray together. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and if you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Doesn't, you don't need to clean yourself up. You don't need a magic formula. You don't need certain kind of words. You don't need a priest or a pastor for help. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. Talk to him. If he's God, he can hear you.
In the quietness of your own mind, call out to him. Say, I need help. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to change you. And watch and see what he does. Watch and see how he can give you peace now and forevermore. In this space today, God, there are all kinds of people. We're all in different spots of this journey. We desperately need you to clean up our mess. Some of us today have said we believe, but we haven't walked with you. Would you remind us that you love us and that you'll walk with us anytime we turn to you? Some of us have said we believe, but our lives don't look like yours. We don't wear your clothing of love and peace and forgiveness and justice and hope. So clothe us with these things today that the world might see you are alive because you've resurrected a bunch of messed up sinners like us, and you've changed us from the inside out, and you've given us peace that we might be peace and love and hope and forgiveness for the entire human race. Work in us, O victorious Christ. I pray in your strong name. Amen.